0: Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. I'm joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, how are things?
1: Mighty Mark. It's been an awesome weekend of rugby ahead.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing few days of rugby. We'll look at Monster Rugby's 28-14 win over South Africa A. We'll review Ireland's workmanlike performance against Fiji in the Viva won the rule over week three of the Autumn International Series, also reflect on the news of Andy Friend, departing as head coach of Connacht Rugby, and look ahead to week four of the Autumn International Series. Liam, we'll start from the start, 41,400 packed into Parker Key last Thursday night and saw an absolute... Monster performance for Munster rugby reaction impressions name of that 28 fourteen win over a very talented South african a side on paper
1: yeah, it was fully deserved and and um you know I say quite comfortable in the end really you know i mean what 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 the South Africans offered was the usual mall scrum big carries, but uh, that was pretty much it I, what what I like is this hopefully is a bit of a renaissance for Munster going forward for the, rest of the season as the What can be done when the players are let play, when guys like Friesch come in, when Ben Healy is on point, Patterson, you know, some of these guys have really, really stood out and uh, Munster played them off the park playing rugby, playing, attacking rugby. And that's what, that's above all else, you know, apart from the result, that's that's really what, what gladdened my heart.
0: Yeah, it was such an encouraging performance in Munster, and I think they needed a platform, they needed a performance to really kick start the season. It's been a different start to the URC, two wins out of seven. They have a crunch game against Connacht Rugby coming on November 26th. Liam, this performance in rain-soaked Park of Kiev, you know, really really, as you say, emphasised an awful lot in terms of the pressure's probably off to a certain extent, but some lovely flowing moves here, particularly in that first half, and I thought pack-wise the malls as well, very dominant. Um, but I mean, we can probably go to it. Shane Daly's try after two minutes. Thought it was a lovely entertaining passes here leading to that uh, to that touchdown.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and and he 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 took it very well too. So I mean, like, Healy Healy's very involved these times now. Like when when he's on point, it's, it's he runs the show. Um, and look, two minutes gone or whatever. Like to get that start was unbelievable, unbelievable. But um, it's Healy, it's Fresh, it's it's all those key backs involved.
0: I think you touched on Antoine Frisch here. It's his first game for Munster. But my God, Liam, if this is the caliber of performance we're getting from, I think this is a very exciting time for Munster rugby, particularly in that thirteen jersey, which may have been a bit of a troublesome spot for Munster this season.
1: There's been a number of excellent performances, but this this is guy. This is first game for us this season, really. Apart from the uh, preseason game, Munster, I thought had South Africa all evening, or certainly particularly in the, in the, por- the first fifty minutes. On the outside, it just completely had the beating of them all the time, and and all sorts of um, all sorts of attacking opportunities. So that that stood out for me too.
0: Yeah, what did you think of that South African defensive setup? It seemed very seemed very tight. It seemed very narrow in terms of their defensive line or were they expecting Munster to be a little bit more, dare I say, a little bit one-dimensional after the URC tapes, which didn't really show much in terms of clean breaks. But I suppose Antoine Frisch being at 13, providing that subtle creativity, that offloading ability, they really did spook South Africa from minute two until the end of the game because there were some significant line breaks there from Munster throughout the game.
1: Yeah, that's, as you pointed out there, I think South Africa, the teams who've so handily beaten Munster in the last two seasons, really, you know, they were just expecting us to go to take up the middle and to offer what we, were, what we have been offering up to now. But again, I think it was like that, you know, we we um, we just completely changed our game around and caught them on the hop there. Even though we were in trouble in the in the first half there in the scrum, we were able to turn it around. And actually win penalties against them, our mall was good. We had you know got penalties wor- well worked. So I mean it worked well for us in that first half too.
0: Certainly did. I mean, you know the roof of Markku If they had one, would have been lifted off with Shane Daly's effort. And I thought that was a lovely try from Shane Daly. He had plenty to do on inside the South African twenty-two, but a plenty of pace to dive over on the right corner. Top Ben Healy was immaculate, as you say, off the tee, in very tricky, windy conditions, was hitting off the tee beautifully through, you know, 7-0. But I suppose what Sarfke did pose was an awful lot of scrummaging platform. And I suppose, Liam, that was probably the only aspect from a Munster rugby perspective, from a game tape perspective, that probably was being highlighted a bit in video analysis. It did lead to Fassi's try, uh, after 13 minutes. But thereafter, Liam, the response from Munster Rugby again to respond to that setback was incredible, I thought. And really culminating with a fine score for Simon Zebo after 29 minutes.
1: Yeah, um, uh, again, I suppose uh, w- what was significant for me, too, though, before that was this guy, Kieran MacDonald, kind of also playing his first game for Munster. How dominant he took it in the line out. That that that's kind of you know for me also stands out. But again, it, it, he he smashing pass from Healy uh, right to left to get Zeebo over the corner, and yeah, at that stage, you know, it it was it was looking good for us. we would gotten two tries against them. We we also were able to get Baron over before half time to for twenty one seven, and it was quite comfortable looking at that stage actually.
0: Exactly, I suppose special enough for Kieran Macdonald as well. Big big occasion for him. His monster rugby debut. Didn't think put foot wrong. I thought his work rate throughout the eighty minutes. Name was insatiable. Just his appetite for work. I thought his leadership, particularly in line out. I thought was exquisite. And really, the malls, I thought his involvement. His work rate. He definitely outworked the likes of Jason Jenkins during the night. So, this is an initial three month period for Karen MacDonald, But I think. We've mentioned this in previous podcast episode, stream that Keir MacDonald can look at like, likes of Toite, Chris Cloite, guys like that that have come in on short-term contracts and really made a name for themselves in Munster in a short period of time. This performance in Keir MacDonald will do his h- chances no harm at all in terms of maybe extending his stay with Munster Rugby. I thought it was a phenomenal performance from... And he's so versatile, second row, back row... And I think he'll be a key cog, particularly going into starting the year and that Six Nations a block of fixtures for Munster.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's not it's not just, it's not just a three month contract he's playing for. He's playing realistically for contract end of the season, and then you know a, a, a one or two year contract because look, Sneeman, who knows about 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 him? Then we have Tom O'Hearn, who is out currently as well. And you know, I, I've always looked at myself at burn. Ideally, if you have enough stacked in the back in the in the line out, I put burn into the back row. So, like, yeah, absolutely, he's he's well there, and he, himself and a dog bow um, physically were immense. I thought on the night, so they're actually a good, a good combination as well. They're a good locking combination in terms of scrummaging as well. Um, so I'm very impressed with with Kieran McDonald.
0: Yeah, I thought the cohesion between the two, the two guys were just incredible on the night against very seasoned operators uh, in the South African A side as well. I suppose South Africa did start threatening a little bit before half time here, Liam. Some would say that Munster may be escaping a yellow card here before the end of the first half, given the dominance that South Africa a had in the scrummaging department. But all credit to Munster really holding resolute on their line and uh, preventing South Africa from scoring a pivotal score just before half time here to make it twenty one seven at half time. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean,
1: <laughs> that was probably one of the most wonder, wondering kings of the night. How much we didn't go down to to fourteen men before, before half time? There total home home decision. If you're ever being honest about calling it, like, and as I said, look, the fact that we held out, I thought that was key. You know, probably to the game. You know, South Africa would have been within a sniff of a try then for a start of the second half. So that was absolutely just crucial. And of course, just after half time, we had Hayley um, taking a lovely try and that that kind of put us well ahead. Very, very comfortable after a nice little kick through there from I mean, Paddy Patterson, who also, you know, he has a lot about him, doesn't he? I think I think he's a, a real tigerish um, scrum half. Remember him from from the South African trip, just his impact. But uh, yeah, he's another guy. I mean, again, we're going to have Murray and we're going to have Casey away for, let's be honest about it, a lot more of the year now after this. So so he's a guy who stepped up as well.
0: Oh, completely. I think Paddy Patterson, definitely deserving of the mana match display. Thought he game managed so well from nine. And to be honest, it was a brilliant breakdown to blindside to recreate that um, try for Hayley. I suppose Healy's. Contribution can't be understated here. That kick in behind. And Haley, who had been very prominent again here, Liam, in terms of his go forward ball, hitting the line as a full-back. I mean, playing against the elements, 28-7, I thought it was a massive score in context of the game. And you could sense then that South Africa A were almost resigned to their fate. Lysa Goosen, who we'd tipped on this podcast last week, was quickly hauled off. Nine was being hauled off. Various positions within South Africa were being switched here. Nothing seemed to be working for them. Now, granted that South Africa did capitalise with a try from close range with under 20 minutes to play. But again, Munster kept playing the rugby here, uh, Liam. And uh, to be fair, might have been unlucky on another day not to have gotten a fifth try come the end of the match.
1: Yeah, and um, I suppose, look, again, when, I suppose you know it was it was I suppose tight enough, but I I like the fact that Munster, with Healy, were kicking to touch, um they 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 were right to the end wanting to get line outs and wanting to get that that extra try. Munster won a number of scrums actually in that second half, um probably the most crucial one was there I think it was seventy fifth minute they won a, a crucial, scrum penalty and and you know from then on I suppose look they were able to just play out the clock really.
0: Exactly. I suppose credit goes to Liam O'Connor as well. He was sin binned, uh before the South African A uh, second try, and I think he was pivotal to that key penalty win in the scrum. So, to be fair to um, Munster Rugby, they did make adjustments as the game wore on. I suppose special mention as well for Patrick Campbell, who came in for Simon Zebo after 53 minutes. That was a, a super stop on Schwarzenberg. On the line, uh, you know, a TMO ruling that it was a foot and touch, but thought that was a kind of a such a timely contribution here from Campbell and looking sharp as well, looking to kind of get on the ball as well. I think it just, lean again, it summed up the season here for Munster in terms of the young guns really looking to play the, their rugby. And I think a few of the senior players with no URC action pressure on them really did respond to the young prospects and how they've basically delivered. In this match, and I don't think South Africa can have any complaints in terms of this scoreline, really, on reflection of play.
1: No, not not at all. I mean, as it's it's it, it, it's a comfortable um, victory, really. Um, now, it has to be also said, I suppose. Look, in, in the second half, there, I suppose, what fifty fifth minute onto the seventy fifth, South Africa had a heck of an amount of ball. They really did, but um, they had two disallowed tries at Hartsenburg and. There was um, a shy on the line as well. They just, did uh, the Dan Dupree when he came on and Jan Luke were they were they were very prominent in in ball carrying as well. But um yeah, M- Munster were quite it was quite comfortable you know for Munster there. We have real you know I suppose selection headaches which is good going forward now. Um as you said Liam O'Connor, he 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 improved himself in the second half. When he came on, um, Kandelin, again, w- was was quite powerful. Um, Witcherly, um, Salanoa. Yeah, so there's lots of positives
0: there. Yeah, it was good to see Salanoa get extended game minutes as well, uh, Liam. Maybe there was a few question marks in terms of scrummaging at times, but, I mean, the guy needs to get his game t- minutes up. I think there's an awful lot of upside here for Munster, given this win. And it kind of leads up nicely into that Connacht rugby game as well on November 26th, the key game in the URC. If this doesn't buoy up Munster rugby, I don't know what will. Just the whole occasion down at Parker Kiev was a superb spectacle despite the inclement weather conditions. Uh, the hope, I would think, here, Liam, is that this is not the last time that Munster rugby will be playing down at Parker Kiev for a Marquis fixture going forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think people are getting a bit carried away. A bit OTT, you know. Oh, let's have Heineken Cup games. Let's have every second game down there, kind of, you know, Park Weave. Like, realistically, we have two other stadiums <laughs> that we have to use as well. But um, yeah, look, for, for the likes of uh, the semi finals of a European Cup or any European competition, I mean, it's the most obvious thing rather than going to going to the Aviva. And I think that it would be acceptable to the ERC, to the organisers. It's not quite a, a a home advantage venue, you know. Um, it is it is a fairly neutral ground, and yeah, it would be tremendous to have uh, pro profile games like that back in back in Porky-Keeve.
0: Oh, absolutely! Uh, I think the the fixture how it was run, I think everything about it, you know, it does bode well for that relationship between Munster Rugby and Porky Keeve, The revenue streams that will be generated here, but I think it all depends on the pitch here. From Munster Rugby's perspective, and starting from November 26th in that Connacht Rugby game, I suppose before we can leave Munster Rugby, I suppose our deepest condolences go out to Billy Holland and the Holland family on the passing of Jerry Holland uh, this week. I suppose, Liam, uh, from your perspective, legend would be an overused word, but I mean Jerry Holland was him. He was the definition of Munster, really, given all his roles uh, as a player and as a coach uh, with the province.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, very sincere condolences to the Holland family. I mean, this is a guy who was, I suppose, the, the first coach, struck manager anyway, certainly of Munster in the professional era back in 95 when they took on the initial journeys into into Europe in places like Swansea and Wasps and all, all that highly professional, like from then on, highly professional almost from the start, when it wasn't quite professional, you know, <laughs> at all. Um and then of course as a as a player as well, what he achieved was like incredible for Munster. And um he saw us really into a very strong position um in the professional era and his involvement Munster will be just something that has to be um, honoured as a, a true legend
0: of Munster Rugby. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I know that Munster Rugby will hold a fitting tribute for Jerry Holland uh, before the game against Connacht Rugby on November 26th. But I'll even go back here, Liam, to the likes of the mid-90s when the Interpros actually were very the be-all, end-all for Irish provinces. Remember, Ulster Rugby had a stranglehold on the Interprovincial for many a year. And for Jerry Holland and Munster to win two Interproles in 1994, '97, for me, that was the green shoots for the Munster Rugby team of the early 2000s to really blossom. Uh, and I mean, Jerry Holland was part of that. Uh, I mean, professional era comes in, he didn't apply for the full time director of coaching role. See Declan Kidney getting it, but Kidney, shrewd, astute man, knew that Jerry Holland needed to be involved in the setup in some shape or form, and you know, an incredible working relationship with Declan Kidney, Alan Gaffney as well, and I mean, it really did lead to those two memorable Heineken Cup triumphs in 2006 and 8. I mean, there's so much been written about Jerry Holland in terms of his stature as a man, in terms of his player management, in terms of the advice he gave players on and off the pitch. I mean, he'll be an incredible loss to Munster Rugby and Irish Rugby and World Rugby in general, really. And uh, yeah, our thoughts are with Jerry's family uh, and friends uh, at this time. Liam, we'll kind of switch from Munster Rugby to maybe Connacht Rugby. Uh, we'll finish our interprovincial kind of roundup here. That news in Connacht that Andy Friend will be departing the head coaching role of the province at the end of the current season. suppose any reaction here uh, to that news?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose, look, he's coming directly to the end of four years, um, almost a day, if he if he leaves in May, that he's been with Connacht now. And to me, some of the key things he's done uh, is, he, obviously, he's bring through players from the academy. So the academy is in a far better position now. He's also, of course, instrumental in Mac Hansen and John Porch two excellent Australian, now naturalised players, with with, uh, Connacht. Also, the fact that he was able to get the likes of David Hawkshaw and Adam Byrne and Peter Dooley, real quality players playing for Connacht this season. So he has Connacht in a much more healthy uh, state than they've ever been, in my view. I mean, uh, from a position where we had Kieran Keane, who left in complete disarray? Um, the kind of, They're now in a position where they're fighting for European qualification every season.
0: When I kind of look at a, a head coaching departure, theme, I just think about what was the situation before that person came in and where that person is leaving the organisation. Mm-hmm. And if you're Andy Friend right now, if the season did end right now, I think you should be feeling very satisfied. In terms of what's happened he's reinvigorated the Connacht rugby brand in the province you think of Pat Lam was a very engaging guy in Connacht rugby going to various locations in Connacht and really promoting the brand Kieran Keane arrived in and was very let's say insular Um, there was a negative attitude to um, Kieran Keane here that Appointment didn't work. So Andy Friend coming in had an awful lot of rebuilds to do after the epic heights of Pat Lam and the Celtic League success. So I think from that perspective, uh, Liam, Andy Friend, he's built the team up. He's also, the academy has been one of those fundamental areas where changes had to be made. And the fact that he's graduated an awful lot of Connacht players from the academy into the senior team is showing that evolution. It's also showing for Indigenous Irish players that Connacht is a, a very attractive proposition to go. The brand of rugby, again, is very entertaining. It goes with Andy Friend's ethos in terms of being expansive. So from an awful lot of perspectives here, I think Andy Friend has left a legacy here for Connacht, the sports ground, the redevelopment. As you say yourself here, I think they're well positioned. I think there was rumours around here in Galway, specifically around Andy Friend, particularly when there was a backroom team reshuffle. And I think the likes of Peter Wilkinson and Pevere Column Tucker, I'm I'm assuming they're probably going to go in-house here for the appointment. Just get that inkling here that they may not be looking outside. I think they've adequate candidates here to drive this forward, bring a bit of continuity. And for Andy French to be here as that mentor, I know he'll be very hands-on for the rest of the season, but giving someone within the organisation that opportunity, I think that's probably the best viable option here for Connacht. And the fact is, you say yourself, the Champions Cup. They've appeared in it multiple times since he's been head coach here. And again, Connacht are seen as a very live threat in terms of any games in sports ground. I can think of Stad Francais coming to sports ground last year and getting an absolute hiding. Um, So literally, Connacht Rugby are on the up. It's a massive game against Munster Rugby on November 26th. And the Connacht Rugby squad will have no shortage of motivation to come to Tolman Park and play for Andy Friend, given the, the announcement here. But we wish Andy Friend all the best here. And I think it should be interesting here, Liam, I'd say just in terms of this press release, I think a head coaching role here may be announced pretty soon or sooner rather than we think here, given that there's an awful lot of candidates here within that backroom staff, particularly like likes of Peter Wilkinson, Colin Tucker. With that, we may go to Viva last Saturday, uh, Liam. 35-17 uh, to Ireland. Workman-like performance. Andy Farrell hasn't been best pleased by the performance. Where do you stand on this Ireland performance against a Fiji team whose discipline completely let them down at key moments?
1: Yeah, it certainly did. It's, it's hard to to make out what um, Andy Farrell is going to actually get out of this in terms of guys putting their hands up for selection. You know, we had, unfortunately, Carberry's disgraceful tackle on him, and he's oh. gone. And other players, I suppose, look, look struggled. I think Prendergast, maybe, when he came on, the second half, didn't quite make the impact... The opposite impact of what he, he thought he'd be making. But, yeah, look, um, Fiji actually, ha, again, had a very good part opening 10, 15 minutes, actually. Rovovo, were a really nice try um, to go 7-0 up. And, yeah, then they got a penalty as well. So, um, yeah, they, they, they did a good start. They were ball in hand. They looked quite uh, quite dangerous, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, I mean... It was a great start from Fiji's perspective. Uh try catching Ireland a little bit cold, I would say. But um, one player that really stood out and has done his chances no harm at all in terms of even bigger picture 2023 Rugby World Cup would be T- Nick Timoney. I mean, two tries alone, but I thought his performance overall was probably up there for, you know, he got man of the match, obviously. But I think his stats really did show it. You know, twelve tackles. I think he was a team high for Ireland on the day, and uh, really did lead by a t- example. Yeah, he did. Oh, he
1: was—he was absolutely immense. Like he was by far and away, like you know, the most uh, powerful forward that we seem to have on the day. Um, I also thought that you know, I, I even though he might have had a had a bit of knock-ons and passes and four passes, I I like the fact that Mac Hansen is the roving back as well. I thought that was quite interesting. Um, the role, I suppose, taken on now from James Lowe at the moment. I, I also, yeah, I, I thought that realistically, you know, the the fact that Fiji were so ill-disciplined, really, they were kicking themselves in the foot and we probably should have motored on ourselves and uh, been a bit more out of sight before that 61st minute, where um, that bit of quick thinking, I suppose, look from Craig Casey got us that uh, try that from from Hansen to kind of put the game beyond them at 28-10. Fiji, yeah, definitely, you know, architects of their own downfall, really. They had they they scored two smashing tries to be fair too. The the second try in particular was was class. We still have to make out who's going to be, you know, props for Ireland. Um, Crowley came on. He got a good, what well, he got a good 30-odd minutes as well. So um, that was good to see as well.
0: Yeah, I suppose that was positive. there. I mean, Robert Balacone getting his try as well in 25 minutes was great to see. Um, but maybe just, just cohesion issues. Maybe Andy Farrell asking a little bit too much of guys that, Combination of senior side squad players from last weekend versus the Ireland Day getting that cohesion together in a few days. There definitely was that. I thought the crowd was pretty lethargic as well. You know, when you see Mexican waves going left, right, and center, looking at some of the camera shots, it was just very, you know, people were just talking away. There was just no intensity to the crowd compared to what we saw previous week. And I think it did. Flood into the team as well. So, look, it was an efficient workman-like performance. May have kind of made a little bit of hard work of it, particularly with Fiji being down to 13 players for a little period. But I suppose, luckily, is there any... Ca- can you excuse the attack on 46 minutes and Joey Carberry? tooie I mean, it's just... Like, we're trying to clamp down on dangerous play. And, I mean, this is just... Uh, one of those instances where it has to be a case study for any player, professionally, kid, grassroots. This has to be a tackle that has to be absolutely clamped down on.
1: Yeah, oh, I just uh, certainly of this weekend and, and even I would say of the Autumn International so far, this is a far away that the most shocking uh, tackle. And I think the Fijians, you know, they really are like, you know, they literally will take the head off you, like literally in terms, in terms of, they're they're tackling. Um, And let's be honest with Carberry now is out for, I think I I would say is a significant amount of time as well. And it's unfortunate for him that he always seems to get these few games together and then suddenly he's gone for a huge bullet work of games. And that seems to be the case again with him now. Yeah, so now we have a situation where on the other hand, we have potentially Carberry gone, Frawley gone, even Sexton gone. So we have a great opportunity for Crowley
0: and Ross Byrne this coming weekend. Exactly, because Kieran Frawley's prognosis is a long-term absence, Uh, knee surgery there required. So there's uh, definitely a few months on the sidelines there for Kieran Frawley. As you say, Johnny Sexton, dead leg concerns here. And Ross Byrne, I think a glorious opportunity for Ross Byrne and for Jack Crowley. I think it will be intriguing heading into this Australian test match, Liam, who Farrell actually plums for here. If it's unlikely Johnny Sexton is going to be the starting line. Personally, we should be looking to see who our depth chart is now. And if that is Jack Crowley third choice, then so be it. So should be getting the opportunity. But I think it's a massive opportunity for Osborne as well because he could be getting potential game time as well. But if I was Andy Farrell's shoes, I would definitely look to see Jack Crowley in the flesh and start for minute one.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be glorious to see it all right happening? I reckon I reckon myself that that Ross Byrne will come like straight into the team just to get that bit of um, experience. And I think that Crowley will still get 30, 30 minutes in the second half. I honestly mm. think he'll get that as, as well anyway. But yeah, it would be great to see him. Say they are um, in a, a full strength team and see what he can cap- be capable of doing.
0: I'd agree with you there. I think um, maybe Crowley being put into the start for his De- debut on troll might be a little bit too much. Rossburn does have experience, but I think it's a massive opportunity for Rossburn really to get himself back on the spotlight, get a performance in here to really kind of focus the mind of Andy Farrell, Mike Cat, and Simon Easterby, because I still think Rossburn has plenty to offer here. I think he's a solid operator at fly half. I think of the last few seasons where Leinster, particularly without Sexton, Ross Byrne was the man. So, and maybe there's a few kind of Leinster fans thinking that Ross Byrne may have been dispensed a little bit too early. So I think it's a fabulous opportunity for Ross Byrne to kind of come in, impress, and really leave that lasting impression. Um, I suppose going back to this Fiji game, like with Mack Hansen, probably the stand-up performer here, the 11 carries, 70 metres suppose probably Simon or Andy Farrell probably looking at the Curvoly try on 64 minutes, three minutes after Hansen's try. I mean, it's a complete and utter breakdown in terms of defensive shape here. All credit to Fiji for asking the questions out wide, but I, I think one or two of the, the Ireland backfield players won't be looking at that video analysis with any great joy after that concession of that second try. I thought it was a very soft try to give away.
1: Yeah, again, you, you could also say it was a tremendous one-handed offload as well. But, yeah, if I can remember, yeah, um Mack Hansen again, maybe, yeah, yeah, was cu- caught a bit out there. And, obviously, Jameson Gibson Park <clears throat> on the touchline as well. So, yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, defensively, yeah, were, it was far too easy, I guess, for that try. I still appreciate it. I thought it was like... <laughs> Really, really well taken, yeah.
0: Yeah, probably over overcritical from my perspective, but I think you can see from video analysis there would be brutal honesty there in that Ireland setup, in terms of such an early, an early concession after scoring a try from Mac Hansen. But I suppose another guy to really shine here off the bench is probably Max Deegan here, uh, Liam. Rate the guy highly, and it's good to see him getting some game time. There's two carries for 29 metres, and he was very active in his defensive work as well and general overall in general over on play and so I think he's done himself no, no harm at all with Andy Farrell as well who appears to be a good supporter of Deegan Yeah he certainly he does and
1: uh, again Deegan is in the mix if you're talking about like this what probably seven or eight guys in the back row now put themselves up for selection and he is definitely one of them and he's kind of the guy though you definitely would like to have him on the bench for impact if we're looking at a back row, <laughs> he would be probably the guy to, to really bring in off the bench if you're looking for that impact. And again, I'd like to see him at the very least on the bench this weekend against Australia. I'd actually like to see Finlay Bielam start a tight-head prop as well. I think just like, you know, the guy is, to give him his credit, he's, ne- he's never let us down He in his scrummaging. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's time for him to also be really, really looked at as well.
0: I would agree with you, Liam. Uh, I think the fact that we've beaten South Africa, we've beaten Fiji. I know kind of workman-like, whatever you want to call it, but there's two wins in the bank here. I think this Australia game, we should be running the rule over one or two guys. And I think Finney Binilam definitely is a guy that should be starting against Australia just to really see him from the start. You know, he impacts off the bench. I think he's well overdue, a starting berth here. And I would, as I say build that depth chart for us i suppose the injury concerns going into australia we know that robbie Henshaw is out you know he, with the hamstring injury obviously carberry unfortunate in terms of the head injury so and also question marks over sexton i suppose they're entering into a test match against australia and i suppose the headline from last weekend was Italy's uh, performance in Florence, winning 28-27. But Liam, I suppose we have to temper this Australian performance with the fact that there was 14 changes in that Australian side that had played France the previous week. So Ireland will be under no illusions here that the front line Australian players will be back in and will be really looking to perform uh, against Ireland and Eviva on Saturday night.
1: They will, and they'll be obviously highly motivated. And also, Australia had the last minute conversion; they they could still have won the game, you know, by a point. But um, I think what I took away from that was uh, what an absolute star this um, Ange Caputo it really is. Like you know, two tries. It's just he is actually sensational. He's a he's a really sensational talent. And it's great to see in terms of Italy now they've got. I think they've gotten three wins in a row um and they've got a bit of momentum about themselves and they have a south africa coming who i who seem to me have experimented this weekend right and that could come back to bite them <laughs> it wouldn't be beyond me seeing italy pull off another victory south africa they've rested their their first uh, choice locks um and They've started um, one or two new guys at twelve. You now, granted, Esther is a very good player, um, but yeah, it, it feels to me like South Africa maybe are taking their eye off the ball a bit there. So that, that, that I think Italy will do well, maybe not quite win, but I think they'll do well again against South Africa as well.
0: Well, I think South Africa have come off the back of two very physical games, first against Ireland and even Dublin, and then in. Um the Stad Velodrome, that 30-26 loss those to sending off and also DuPont sending off probably key talking points, but they're a very abrasive battle. So I can see where the Australian or South African management has come with this selection. And as you say, Italy, thank God, are providing a little bit of a run of form, which may bode well for the Six Nations next year. And as you say, Capuzzo is just... He's playing superbly well, you know, give that guy a little bit of a half break, he's gone. But I thought, like, Luke Hazy as well, I think, was man of the match during that game. There were some lovely spin moves from uh, Italy, particularly in that first half. Uh, there was some great, great kind of, you know, offloads. Australia, I know it was kind of a brand new team, did kind of react, particularly after 65 minutes. Uh, when Capuso went over, you thought that was game over essentially. But then Tom Robertson, uh, Cadron Neville, as well on eighty-one minutes, and you thought, oh dear God, Australia going to break the hearts of Italy here. And uh, unfortunately for the deputant Robertson here, um, you know, he's conversion. it was. It was. It was.
1: It was. It was a, it was a, it was a uh, well, you know, doable conversion. Yeah, well, it was well doable. Well doable. Like.
0: Yeah, but I suppose it's testing a, a young guy out, <laughs> deputant really putting pressure on here. And I think, in fairness, Italy did deserve it. I think, you know, for for 60 minutes, I thought they were much the better side. You know, you have the likes of Ioni here as well, really kind of coming back to the four seven carries, 57 metres. Again, I think it all bodes very well for Italy here going into this weekend. Now, question mark would be, in terms of their pack, can they really front up here against South Africa? But if they can, you know, if they're in the game with... 60 minutes gone, no reason why they can't literally produce another performance and upset. But I suppose from an Australian performance perspective, it does put pressure on head coach Dave Rennie here heading into that Dublin fixture. He's, uh probably selection uh, approach has backfired. Australian media are circling a little bit in terms of that selection. Not very satisfied in terms of how this November tour has gone so far. And if Ireland were to inflict a defeat here on Australia, I think Dave Rennie would be absolutely in serious trouble here to retain his head coaching job before a World Cup.
1: Yeah, what's the on? It's a thirty-seven percent win record. I mean, that's a that's a sackable straight away. Straight away. I, I I think you know I keep I keep saying this even though it doesn't sound quite right, but I think Australia have got the players. They definitely have got the players, and um, don't always quite select them. They do a hamstring themselves by not selecting all their top European players and Jap- Japanese players. They have this this rule still in place where they only select four or five in their in their squad. But um, if they can, Will Skelton is there, um, so he certainly is getting selected. You know, when you've got the likes of quality like Cooper there as well, when you have Cor- Corbietti. They, they there's some real real nice uh, players there, and yeah, I, I think they just need to. I suppose really select strongly in their pack because they they that's that's still something where they're they're quite weak. They they probably have to win this weekend or or Rennie gets 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 let go. I think.
0: Yeah, or fundamental changes happen in his backroom team, a bit like Foster in uh, New Zealand, which seems to be in vogue at the moment. I think that end of November series review might be a very Awkward one for Dave Rennie if he doesn't get a result here particularly. But look at the Australian squad here. I mean, he likes Bernard Foley. You have Slipper, Will Skelton. You have a very explosive back three here, Liam, if Australia can get quick ruck ball. Very impressed by Jock Campbell, particularly in that French game. I'm really discarding the Italian performance here, Liam, just given that it was kind of the shadow side out. Now, granted, it's now showing some fundamental depth chart issues with Australia. That they couldn't get over the line against Italy, they would have expected to have done so in Florence. But I think we've seen enough in their performance against France in week two of the Autumn International Series that this is a team if they can start the game brightly could pose a few problems for Ireland and particularly from an expansive attacking side of the ball perspective.
1: Yeah, Ikitai and and Passami and like they've got really good centres actually, real really quality. As I said, it's it's just sort of a question of what kind of uh, ball that they're going to get. They have Valentini at eight, real quality. I think they have to decide, you know, in terms of the back row, are they going to play two sevens? Sometimes Australia do that against us, um, particularly when we have the World Player of the Year nominee, In van der Fleer who is just cleaning all over, up all over himself. So, yeah, and I think also... In their propping department, they are they're, they are kind of quite light, um, and that's probably also somewhere where we're, we can target them. Actually, it's a scrum time.
0: Yeah, I think set piece wise, I think friendly Farrell and the management, particularly Paul O'Connell and that pack, the pack will be earmarking to test Australia's front five out early. I think scrummaging wise, I think from a line up perspective here, we can get joy, particularly in our attacking mall um it is i think a source of weakness for australia particularly in a front five particularly their defensive mall i'm still not convinced by and it was shown in the rugby championship as well taking the latter rounds when you do put this australia front five under the pump that try scoring opportunities do arise so i think from an arm perspective there are scope for um attacking opportunities But again, it really is down to the performance. And I think it really hinges on that 9-10 combination for Ireland. Obviously, Gibson Park will be in at 9. But it'll be intriguing to see, will they play Sexton? Will they play Ross Will they play Crowley? But again, Ireland will need to hit the ground running. I'd expect them to elevate their performance. I think Fiji was, you know, that fixture was never going to hit the heights of South Africa. But again, we have to give Australia massive due respect. They're a a very proud rugby union nation. And I think given the context, given the backdrop of this for Dave Rennie and coaching staff, there may be a siege mentality within this Australian camp to really produce performance to end this November tour series in the right note. And I think Ireland have been forewarned.
1: Yeah, and I'd I'd be very surprised um, if there is literally not much more than than, than a, a try uh, in it in the end of the game um, and I think actually I think it could be quite a high scoring game I could I think it could be three or four tries each I just had that that funny feeling that it's going to really open up actually um, as the second half goes on
0: yeah because they're well capable of Australia of creating absolute sensational line breaks we saw it with, um, in the French game that give them half a chance they're they're up and away I'm gonna be very excited to see the, the styles here and how Ireland do approach this to go all out, dynamic, expansive would probably be a fundamental mistake here against Australia. They would love that broken field. So I think Ireland need to be structured literally in their front five and also the back row, really controlling rock exchanges and then literally when the time opportunity happens, likes of Hansen, Keenan, uh, even Balakone as well. I'm expecting them to be the back three again this weekend to really get ball in hand at various points, you know, when it's required. I suppose, uh, Liam, it is an intriguingly set battle. It'll be 8 o'clock, it'll be the premier game. But I suppose, looking back at last weekend, uh, Liam, what games did catch your eye? Um, I know we talked about the Italy-Australia, but we also had France-South Africa. We had um, New Zealand having a bit of a scare in Murrayfield against Scotland. So... What were your overall reactions to kind of week three in the Autumn International Series?
1: Yeah, I also I I, I did see the the France um, South Africa game, and I, I I have to say, like you know, it was a cracking game. But like as the second half went on, just France came wave after wave, and it was almost going to be inevitable they were going to get some sort of a score. Now when it came, I thought I thought it was very harsh on South Africa. Actually, I thought I thought. There was a bit of a double movement. What stood out to me is the fact that for us, for Ireland, I think we have to avoid playing France, whether it's going to be in Marseille or Paris or or Laude or wherever they're going to be in a work of qualifying. We have to avoid them um, at all costs. And that's, to me, the thing that stood out. Like when, when France have more power than South Africa, it just it says a heck of a lot about them, really does. They, they they really have the temperament now to go with the talent and the the um, the um free-flowing rugby. One of the teams that has come out of it so far even, you know, very positively has been South Africa. Now we have had Razzie starting to rant again with videos. Um, something's going to have to happen with this guy, you know. He's going to have to be silenced in some way because he is bringing the game into dis- disrepute. Uh, you could admire him in in a way from standing up for his players but uh, i think even south african diehard fans would have to agree now that it's just getting a bit too much as well
0: once was a novelty i think twice now is really kind of looking for attention and then three is probably blasphemy for the beautiful game that is rugby union it's dangerous it's dangerous water here that he's treading on i think world rugby bill beaumont really have to have a word again the ban hasn't really affected his mindset here. He's putting pressure on the match official here, particularly in this Italian test match this weekend, to get key decisions. It's just very disappointing, Liam, um, in terms of that. But I suppose from South Africa's perspective, they have been trying out different combinations, particularly in their halfbacks. I think we kind of probably know who their 9 and 10 is going to be when they're playing Ireland, particularly in the group stages of... 2023 rugby world cup but they have tried williams uh, they've tried various guys hendrick uh, they've tried guys here in test match intensity seeing if they sink or swim to be perfectly honest so i think they'll be well equipped they will have a depth chart and uh, i think you may not say that for ireland here right now in terms of our nine and ten depth charts that maybe south africa have kind of confirmed that maybe a few oneself from a World Cup, so I think all in all, it'll be kind of a fascinating watch with Africa, but <laughs> yeah, Razi. then again deflecting attention away from his side as well, they're on a losing streak here as well, all the attention is on him as well, to kind of get the team focused, get him in a cohesive mindset heading into that Italian game. Scotland, 15 minutes away from glory last weekend, I shouldn't laugh here Liam, but I mean, they look to be in control, but What happened in that last 15 minutes against New Scotland, like Finn Russell slots automatically into 10, to himself and Stuart Hogg really controlled exchanges exceedingly well for Scotland. That last 10, 15 minutes, I think, will grate on Gregor Townsend. He's mentioned that this will rank alongside the 2019 World Cup loss to Japan that effectively knocked him out of the tournament. That's how devastating this loss has been. I think from Scotland's perspective, they don't get too many chances to to beat New Zealand. And really they had New Zealand where they wanted them nine points up, 15 minutes to go. Just maybe depth chart here I think was key. New Zealand refused to panic, but there did seem to be a concession of penalties really late on that did set up field position for New Zealand to get uh, the win. I think it's um, probably showing everyone that Scotland on their day are more than capable of feeling kind of a good team against New Zealand or anyone else, but it's that closing of a game here. They've had problems in the past with Gregor Townsend in charge to close out contests, and I think it was kind of seen here to a uh, full effect. Now, New Zealand will be relieved. They did rotate the team a little bit. Mark Tedia comes in, scores his second try of the match, but again, it was very... I think from a New Zealand perspective, it'd be more relief. The performance in RE really hit the heights here. I think Scotland have to rue kind of, um, you know, what may have been here, to be perfectly fair. Um, just in that last quarter, it just was a, you know, it was there for them, but never really kicked on. Maybe got a little bit defensive, a little bit kind of tentative in terms of their attacking play, and New Zealand took full advantage. I suppose, Dean, kind of going into week four, we've talked a little bit about Italy, South Africa. We also have Wales have come off 2013 win over Argentina. That was a very physical encounter. You've Scotland, Argentina, England playing New Zealand on Saturday evening at 5.30, which is the matinee to Ireland Australia at 8pm. Boseline, who are you tipping here for week four of the autumn international series? Yes. Nice games,
1: isn't there? Like even, even I have to to say the Scotland, Argentina game is going to be, you know, fiercely fought as well. Um, in terms of England versus New Zealand, it kind of is do or die, isn't it? Like for England, like like to really whatever eleven months out from the World Cup to really make a, uh, any state any case that they're going to do anything at the World Cup. I think they have to win this game against New Zealand. You know, and I think they're they're capable of doing it. And I think I could see New Zealand losing their fifth game of the calendar year. Uh, I could certainly see that happening. Again, it, it's I suppose look, England have been in some respects hamstrung sometimes by Owen Farrell, by his selection. You know, I think I think that is true. They they also ha- they have to really see who they want as their, as their 12 and 13. I think that's that meat for me above all else is the key for England going forward. Um, they always would have uh, such a combative pack, a pack that often can can dominate New Zealand in Test Rugby so and that's that's for me one of the things I think too yeah at 10 do they go with with Marcus Smith do they really kind of um probe New Zealand in different ways that way um in terms of New Zealand while you know they have I suppose look they had a comprehensive win against Wales and now they've gotten a win against Scotland. There's still lots of question marks to ask about New Zealand.
0: I'd agree with you there, Lane. I think Murrayfield and the manner of this Japanese performance, because we thought Japanese were probably a bit better than they were last weekend. It really wasn't, it was one way traffic here, Liam, for long stretches. Pack were dominant from England. And allowing the likes of Marcus Smith, Freddie Stewart to really kind of go and express themselves with ball in hand. It was a very, it was a very cohesive performance from England, given that packed form. And one team that doesn't fear New Zealand historically is England. They have a great record against New Zealand uh, recently. Eddie Jones was soon on the press conference pulpit, literally saying, right, we're ready for New Zealand. I think they are. I think New Zealand have a few questions to answer after that Murray Field performance. I thought they were a bit better than what they actually showed last weekend. And I think England do match up very well with them, particularly in the pack. Yeah, I'm with you here, Liam. I think, you know, we may have been trying to troll Eddie Jones a little bit under a bus here. But I think given this game, I think England will be galvanised. This is a huge win for England if they can get it against New Zealand. As you say, inflicting a fifth calendar test match defeat for New Zealand, which is unheard of. I think for me, England, I think by seven to ten. Uh, on this one, um, so literally we have Wales against Georgia. I, I think Wayne Pivak. we had mentioned needed a win. That happened. Do we see any chance here for Georgia uh, against Wales in the Principality Stadium?
1: Yeah, they 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 do always play a, a game that kind of you know troubles Wales. The, yeah, Wales we often find it hard to get over the line against them. But I I think I think I'd say. Wales probably by twelve to fourteen points. I think that Georgia haven't quite kicked on compared to other teams, um, the likes of the Japanese and the likes of the Italians and yeah, I think that Wales certainly have a lot more in the locker now, uh, and the confidence that it's gained from that win against Argentina is going to stand them in good stead now.
0: Yeah. The fascinating watch on this, like we're recording this midweek, ladies and gentlemen, before these matches are being, teams are being selected. Wales do have a week five fixture against Australia on Saturday, 26th November. Given the result against Argentina, do they now look at depth charts and look to select guys on the fringes to give them test match rugby experience? If that is the case, I think Georgia do have a legitimate chance here in this test match. I suppose a lot will depend on how dynamic they are with ball in hand past 10 but we know historically that george's pack will rumble and i think from a wales front five perspective it'll be imperative to stop that at source so i think there's nothing going to be in this match i do recall a few years ago you remember when the two props were hauled off from wales uh they had a, a scrum right in under their post wales and they came out with a result i'm not thinking it'll happen here but i think Maybe a seven ten point win for Wales, but I think Georgia could be well in this one for long stretches. Um Scotland, Argentina, another fascinating matchup here. Scotland should be buoyed by the sixty minutes performance against New Zealand. And I suppose you have an Argentinian team coming out of a a physical encounter against Wales, and I suppose they'd be disappointed in terms of how the first sixty minutes went for them against Wales. Who do you see edging this one, name?
1: Now, this this to me is, is maybe the hardest one of all to call this weekend because he like said like, like like there's also the, the fact that though that Scotland blew that uh victory against New Zealand and Argentina probably you know didn't show up or weren't made to show up against uh Wales um I, I just feel that that Argentina still have a real they've shown a real quality in a lot of their games this year and that that's still going to to get the more the line against uh Scotland I'd say maybe pl- plus six points to uh, Argentina, considering all the the victories that they've gained this year so far.
0: Yeah, I think they'd be keen to right the wrongs of last weekend. In fairness to Wales, pack-wise, they did front up magnificently well. I thought Toby Falato was absolutely immense at eight and we did lead by example, there was that opening try burst from Wales. Uh, they had a significant gap. Now Argentina did come back at them in the last 20 minutes. But again, too little, too late. I just wonder about Scotland here, uh, Liam. Just the impact of that last 15 minutes against New Zealand. Again, there's more question marks over this side. This side do have talent. I'm looking through the team selection here. The likes of Richie Russell, Price, Van der Verwe, um, Hogg, Harris, these are all quality players, so it's about time to galvanise and close out games here and not leave it really to the last moments of a game. I think if it comes to the melting pot, which I think it will, Argentina will run this close. I think you have to get it to Argentina. Their experience, their will to win here in these tight situations, I think might be pivotal. I think 3-6 points for Argentina for sure. Uh, Genoa is the location for Italy and South Africa and good news story here for the Autumn International Series that Italy's resurgence against South African team that are looking for uh, a win here ahead of their trip to Twickenham on Saturday 26 November. Uh, who do we fancy here, uh, Liam?
1: It's, it's as much as I suppose really as, as the team that South Africa field as opposed to, the, you know, the team that, that Italy field as well, because that doesn't make a difference, you know, indirectly what happened last week was Italy won playing brilliant rugby against uh, very much a second string um, Australian team. Now look, having played the likes of Ireland and against France, they had to rest guys for this test, simply they had to. But that gives Italy that bit of a a chance in the game, you know, and um, if Italy have Garbisi back who actually didn't start last week, he he really is an, a smashing out half, um, and they play with that sort of attacking verve that they showed throughout against Australia, I think they have a chance. I definitely do. I think, I think it's just a question of um, if they can front up in terms of to the scrummaging and the, the line-out malls of South Africa, if they can get a grip on that in the first half, I think they Absolutely, definitely have a chance. Um, I think there's going to be nothing in it. I, 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 I think maybe you might see something like South Africa in the end scrambling over 10 minutes from the end for a try. So I, I, on that basis, maybe four or five points South Africa.
0: I think the South African selection will be fascinating. Italy, if they're going to beat South Africa at home, it's this weekend or nothing. I just worry for Italy a little bit in terms of their physicality. Particularly last 20 minutes when Australia got a foothold in that game. Particularly against their second-string Australian side. Line breaks emerged. Tackles were basically missed. They can't do this against South Africa. South Africa will roll roll all over them. I still think South Africa, I think probably a 10-14 point win. Maybe we'll see some flashes here. I'm just worried here in terms of the Italian pack. How are they going to compete here? Um, So I think 10-14 points South Africa. But hopefully Italy show some more positive signs here ahead of Six Nations. And then on Sunday, we have the Japanese travelling to Stadium de Toulouse to face France on Sunday. I suppose only one outcome here, is there, name.
1: Yes, you'd have to say so. Although, the last time that the the Japanese took to the field in France, I think there was nothing in it. I think it was an incredibly close fixture, you know. I suppose that's when... The Japanese were were, were way, way up in terms of their form. But yeah, um, you would have to say France are into likely to give um, as big a hammering, if not more, than England inflicted last weekend. So yeah, I mean, probably 40 point victory. Uh, yeah,
0: again, I think it's going to be a fascinating watch from France what their team selection will be from Fabien Galtier. They've had an attritional battle against South Africa last weekend. They've also had a very attritional battle against Australia. So a few frontline guys. Dupont's obviously suspended. So they're going to have to change it up in terms of maybe halfback partnerships here and maybe the pack as well. Still, I'm been bitterly disappointed in terms of Japan and their performance last weekend in Twickenham. I thought they would perform much better. They weren't allowed, you know, create their expansive style. That may be the only chance for Japan here that France are going to go very expansive on it. Uh, If that is the case, maybe unstructured, broken play comes the predominant feature of this game. They might have half a chance, but I think you have to look at France 20, 25 points here. There'll be a few guys here in the fringes getting game time for Fabien Galtier. By God, will they have to take it because the opportunities for these guys who will be playing against France, against Japan are going to be quite diminished coming into next year. So I think France for me for 20 points. Uh, Liam, we'll probably leave it there anyway. Uh, Another lengthy podcast, but so much exciting rugby to actually have a look at. Uh, Many thanks for your time, Liam, and enjoy the weekend. Yeah, we'll enjoy all the rugby this weekend. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.